Another edition of Behind the Lens. Started a couple minutes late here today. Um, had a little sound issue here in the studio. We don't. Know, we're going to blame it on the big boss. He was in here playing earlier today, so we're going to blame it on him. But welcome, welcome. We are here. We are live on AdrenalineRadio.com. You can actually watch our live stream on AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page. Um, but welcome. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line. Movies, films, TV, stage, every week talking to directors, writers, actors, cinematographers. And now we're coming into award season, which is, as all of you know, is one of my favorite parts of the year, where for the next couple months I will be talking to as many below the line uh, artisans as I can uh, get my hands on with uh, as we count down to uh, Golden Globes, Critics Awards, and the, uh, and, the, and the granddaddy of them all, the Oscars. But in the meantime, you can find my movie reviews and interviews in, the, in print and online in the U.S. and abroad 24-7, including BehindTheLensOnline.net, where you can also find podcasts of our live radio show. And uh, for anybody interested, you know, we've got, oh, 33, 40 new interview, video interviews up on BehindTheLensOnline.net from L.A. Film Festival. Check them out. Uh, more to come. Still, it takes a while to edit, to write, to type. Takes a while. But what doesn't take a while is introducing the first, the first guest pre-recorded guests we have today. Originally, Carol Cook, Broadway legend. Uh, classic film fans know her best as Bessie Limpet in uh, The Incredible Mr. Limpet that starred Don Knotts. Uh, Sixteen Candles. Uh, she's more well-known to the uh, newer audiences. But Carol has been around. She is a living legend. Uh, she played Hello, Dolly! in Australia for a couple years. She took over she was the first person to play Dolly after uh, Carol Channing on Broadway. And she is known for her, uh, for her one-woman shows and, of course, for all of her charity work. For 34 years, she was one of the headliners of Stage L.A., which benefited AIDS Project L.A. For the past couple years now, she has been one of the headliners for a cabaret act. And this year, it is a three-night cabaret act. Cabaret is alive and well and living in L.A., uh, formulated and designed by the incredible David Galligan. Carol and her husband, Tom Troop, are only two of the wonderful people who are going to be performing over three nights this coming weekend in Los Angeles. On Friday night, there's a show at Tom Rolla's Gardena, together at last for the fifth time, Saturday night. There is an It Takes Two night at Vitello's in Studio City. And on Sunday night is Come Hear the Music Play at the Catalina Jazz Club. There are tickets available through brown paper tickets for all the shows. I think the tickets are like $25. Uh, and the talent who is performing is absolutely amazing at all of these. Carol was going to be calling in live today to talk to everybody with, as only Carol can do, with stories that are just beyond golden uh, of of her thoughts and her days uh, on on the stage and on and on the big screen, but unfortunately she had to have emergency surgery and actually she is undergoing surgery right this minute. But she was so hell bent and determined that she was going to do today's show that we did an hour and a half chat on the phone uh, the other day, which I have called down to a tidy 27 minutes, um, where we talk about the cabaret, the fundraising event uh, of this cabaret uh, triptych that will benefit the Actors Fund. 
and uh, a few other things, including her thoughts on actors and why the Actors Fund is so necessary and so needed. And also, what would talking to Carol be without Carol regaling us with one of her hilarious stories? And the one she regaled me with the other day that you'll hear momentarily involves Judy Dench voicing a cow. So, without any further ado, the, the Grand Dam can't be here in person, but this is the next best thing. Take a listen to Carol Cook. Well, it is so good. I mean, I'm glad you're well, though, and chugging along, darling. Well, and you're chugging, too. You're going to be better after oh, your yeah. surgery. I'm, I'm going to be better. You but, know, it's a, I'll tell you what I really hate is the pain. Yeah. I, I mean, I had a grandmother who always said, I've never known a moment without pain. Oh. And I thought, that old fool, what does she know? <laughs> and, and God said, I'm going to show you what that is. See? Yeah, God has a way of getting back at us for yeah. things like that. So. But I want to hear about this new this new cabaret act. I mean, this is very exciting. You mean the the one that we're going to talk about? Yes. Yeah, and um, you know, I went to not not apropos of this, but I went to um, New York and played at the club there. It used to be the old Studio Fifty Four. Oh. And now it's called Fifty Four Below. And oh, I'm telling you, Debbie. I've laid bombs, so I know what bad stuff is. But it was sensational. And it went so well. And they sold out three months before I went there. And, uh, and asked me to stay over another night, and I did. And they sold right out. And so they've asked me to come back any four. They want me there four consecutive nights anytime I want to. Oh Isn't that good? That is fabulous. So anyway, so now back down to reality, honey. <laughs> oh, well, I think, I think the fantasy part is even better. Four nights they want you. Carol, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. So that's good. And um, uh, we had a great time. David Gallagher directed me. Of course. And um, he lives back east now, you know. I heard. Uh, he's the old man of the mountain, I call him. Oh, my. But anyway, yeah, this thing that we're doing... For Actors Fund, uh, I guess you got all the all the. Materials. Oh yeah, Scott. Get, yeah, you know. But I and I love the cabaret stuff anyway that gets done. Oh but yeah. You're doing two nights, and you're dragging Tom on stage with you on Saturday night. Yes, indeed. Uh, or or he's dragging me. One of us is dragging the other one, and uh, because that's a night uh, called duets. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and they have all these, uh, uh, I think it's called It Takes Two, and um, that's uh, at the upstairs at the Tellos, mm -hmm. which is in Studio C. And it's a well-known uh, place for cabaret. It's a lovely place. I've been there before. Yeah, and that's on uh, October 13th. That's on a Saturday at uh, 7.30 and, uh, Tom Gripe and uh, is going to be our is our musical director for that. Mm -hmm. And um, Peter Mark Jacobs um, is, I believe, going to be the host for the evening. And now uh, that's all duets. Now, do, do you know what you and and beloved Mister Troop yes, will be doing? Dar my darling, I, I believe you met him, uh, Debbie Tom. Tom Troop is my husband, and. Um, uh, we, we've been married 54 years, and I keep laughing and saying I was like 11 years old when we married. Well, that's true. <laughs> anything, anything to get me out of this. And um, so we are going to sing uh, Our Love is Here to Stay. And But we're going to take a comedy approach to it. I was, I was going to say. Yes. We, we have seen this song a little seriously, but then get smart-ass about it. And uh, so we we are working with uh, David as soon as he comes in from the, from the east. And uh, we can't wait because... Now, we've never done this kind of thing together. So we've uh, worked together in the theater. Uh -huh. We've done Line and Winter together and Father's Day and supporting cast. But we've never we've never done cabaret together. And I we started to rehearse this day, and I said... I think this may be the end of our marriage right here. <laughs> this may, it may be over. But uh, 
I think it'll be fun. And, you know, they have really, they have really wonderful voices that are, that are, are doing really proper songs. Well, ours is proper in that it's a comedy routine, that's all. And that's proper for you. Yeah, proper for us, darling. Oh, my God. And, and then, now, um, they had the, the third night, oh, we skipped the first, but the third night is at the Catalina. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Catalina, uh, now I'm not in that, Tom and I are not in that, but uh, that's a that's a wonderful jazz club. Yeah, and I, and I know that one, Jolie Fisher's performing in Davis Gaines. And... Oh, yes, yes, and uh, uh, Nelson Cole is um, the musical director. Oh, and that's hosted by my two friends, Fabulous, Dale Shores and Bruce Valanche, and they're fabulous. And it's hosted by them. Bruce Valanche is a kick in the ass. Isn't he funny? Oh, my God. He's a dear man also. Well, Just dear, you know. You know, and I've loved seeing him in the Stage L.A. productions. He always, he's just, he was always so funny. And he's very, he's one of the most giving of his time for mm-hmm. causes, you know. Certainly, we worked together so much in the AIDS, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. That that'd be a wick, and uh, he's just and all of these people. Um, you may have some of the cast in front. Oh well, I have to talk about also. You have to tell me about Friday night where yes, you're Friday by your, you're by yourself. Yeah, but now well, I'm, I know these are a bunch of women. <laughs> uh, these are a, a whole bunch of women, is that? And it's called Together at Last for the Fifth Time. And that's it, uh, Tommy Rollers. The Gardenia. Yeah. 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 And uh, anyway, uh, oh, and our musical director then is um, uh, G- uh, Jerry Sternbach, who is fabulous. I've done a lot of musicals with him, Follies and lots of oh. Fabulous. And, you know, that's all sorts of people are in that. Eileen mm-hmm. um, Barnett, you know. Oh, Janet, my good friend, Jane A. Johnson. Now, do you know what you're going to sing that night? Uh, yeah, I'm going to do, um, I'll do a little talking. Of course. <laughs> uh, uh, of course, you can't stop the mouse, you know. I'll do that. And then I will do um, a song by Billy Barnes called Something Cool. Ooh. Look, I love that song. It's about a a woman, well, it doesn't matter. It's a it's a lovely jazz song that was written years ago and didn't get much play. And uh, and now I sing, now I sing it all the time. And then to close, I do um, from Hello Dolly. I do it's sort of my theme song before the parade passes by. Mm-hmm. And I love that song because it's what I feel about life. You know, before the parade passes by, darlings, we better get on with it. You know, that well, kind of thing. Well, you you always keep getting on and getting on. And oh, yeah. It's, it's, you're just a nonstop whirlwind. Well, as, as long as now we, we just, I may have two little people hold up my back for me now underneath my skirt. <laughs> <laughs> or just sit on a chair, woman. Uh, that's what I think I'll do and just roll on. You know, I mean that—that's kind of what you did. You've done on stage LA before. You'd sit in your director's chair. Oh yeah, but I've always done that. Yeah, yeah. But you well, know, maybe I'll just put rollers on that. That's just it. Put little rollers, and they can roll you out. Oh, that's why not. Sharon McKnight is in that. Barbara Minkus. I mean, uh, Lisa Pacero. I mean, I'm just. I mean, it's a great lineup. All three nights uh, is fabulous. How come you're not in the third night, though? I got lucky. (laughs) (laughs) I said, oh, now I will say usually David tries, um, I don't know how how much he tries, but (laughs) I think he tries to use different people for all three of them. And you know, that's what's fabulous. L.A. has a lot of talent here Mm -hmm. and very few places to play. That's just a spent. Yes. And I wish there were more because. I do too. I I mean, that still is one of the greatest, greatest experiences for people that have not done it. And, you know, gone to see a cabaret show with torch song singers or jazz. And, 
you know, I really hoped after the movie La La Land came out a couple years ago right. that it might, because, you know, he Ryan Gosling plays this jazz pianist. And well, man. Very well. And I really hoped it would inspire more people to become aware. And, oh, yeah. it, and it didn't. I, I don't see that it did. And it's a shame for the younger generations that they're just not opening their no. eyes to this. It's um, it, They love seeing it because that movie was a tremendous hit. Oh, yeah. And it's like they loved it, but they didn't want to do it. Right. That's, <laughs> that's just it. They want to go and be transported for a while, but they don't want to actually experience it. Well, for themselves. And, and you have to get out and do the work, you know. You True. To, and their their music of today is so different. Yeah. I mean, I do laugh. I, I've come across like the grand old lady of the theater, which I probably am. You are. Well, you bet your ass, honey. And I, because I thought, my God, I can't even understand the lyrics to the music they have now. I, I've given up. Now, I, I really mean that. And I know, I know it's generational, and I bow to that. I, I go there. But what's wrong with knowing the lyrics? And then somebody printed out the lyrics to me to a song the other day. I thought, you know, maybe it's better I don't. Post those that's it, because you look at the lyrics, and it's like, what in hell is yeah. this? But what am I thinking? I'm not interested in these lyrics, you know, but um, I, but it's every generation has that. So I'm sure my mother and daddy thought, what are those kids doing with hip hop and and all of that stuff, you know? So oh. I, we all have our and I, but I still cling to Tony Bennett and the Sinatra. That's me. Kid. I love Tony Bennett. <laughs> I love Sinatra. You know, I love Billie Holiday. Oh my God. Um, I was, you know, and I was, and it's because of my dad, really, okay. that, 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 that yeah. I, because that's the kind of music that he liked, um, even though he was the cameraman on American Bandstand in the 50s, yeah, and, yeah, even, I mean, there was always room for everything, but I was exposed to a lot of things that most people my age were not exposed to. And then my grandparents were very much into the um, the Philharmonics used to do back in the 30s and 40s recordings of orchestra doings, you know, a night of Strauss, a oh, night of, of Tchaikovsky. That, that was very popular. And my grandfather used to play that. It's like the first time he taught my grandfather taught me how to waltz right. to Strauss. Tales from the Vienna Woods. And it's my brother actually packed up all those albums of my grandparents, and I now have them all. How wonderful. Uh, oh, but my God. To, how fabulous. To listen to the purity yeah. of those recordings done by these major, major philharmonics, you know. Oh, yeah. Now they're done digitally. They're yeah. Done. A million different ways. The singers aren't even in the room. <laughs> no. And all of that. No. See, I, I think, I mean, I know it works for them, but I, as as one of the singers, I want to be in the room where it all is, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be outside somewhere or in another town. Yeah. No. I know that, I know that I've done it, but uh, no, it's just different, darling. It's just different, that's all, you know. Well, I think the old way is better. But all of these shows, each one of them has their strength, Debbie. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, and most people now, they do buy, uh, many people, um, buy tickets to all three because it's all feasible enough to do that. These are very inexpensive yeah. tickets. And you, and you see different people. And it's it's exciting. It's very. It's kind of like a feast, a musical feast. You know, mm -hmm. it's a, a traveling little feast, and you go from one to the other. And um, I think it's a fabulous idea. Well, I think it is. And this was Galligan's idea, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. He comes up with great ideas. Yeah, and that's a really, it's a great idea. It's like a little festival, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, he's coming in, of course, to direct. And um, 
And it'll be fun because, and also because he never lived here, we're, it's kind of like a really get together for all of us with him. So it may it makes it a little added fun, you know, mm -hmm. excitement. So and we have to, we usually spread it out over a long time. We start rehearsing, you know, months before. But this, he comes in and it all capsules into two weeks. So it is. It's like. Uh, there's music coming out of everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I love that this one, too, it benefits the Actors Fund. Yes. And a lot of people have forgotten about the Actors Fund and everything that it does. Oh, darn, yes. And honey, as we all get older, we do notice that. Because we have many friends now who, who are at, at, we won't call it the home, but it's, and it's, um, and, you know, it's been a big, big, big help to us. You know, mm -hmm. and seeing Woodland Hills, and uh, we have many friends out there, and uh, they have lovely buildings, cottages, and all of this. And it's a godsend, and that's all actors' fun. You mm -hmm. know, it helps in art, and they they feed people. We well, whenever I won't have to go through, but. I'll tell you, Debbie, when somebody needs help and actors are not protected and when they, somebody, we take care of our own. Mm, very much so. And I know the Actors Fund, a lot of people see, think it just applies to actors. It doesn't. No. It applies to your cameramen, your yeah. cinematographers, your sound guys, oh, your yeah. editors, your grips. We it's have everybody. wives of cameramen and, uh, you know, helped out. The wives, the families of directors, the families of actors. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just the person themselves. No, I, I just, I've always thought the Actors Fund was so, so worthwhile. And because of the full range of people. Yeah. But I think that's a misconception that some of the public has. Oh, they only take care of actors, and actors don't <laughs> need this, and actors don't need that, because they're making $20 million for a picture. Well, you, you've named about six of the top. The rest are struggling. That's just it. And, that's... and in fact, it's kind of shocking if you look at the people. This goes for Broadway and the movies. People who are stars one minute in one movie and you almost and you never hear of them again yeah i mean you it, you have to really dig down to find out what but there there are millions who are just they're not even working they're working actors but they're not working actors you know they're doing all sorts of jobs they want to be actors well, and I think one of the biggest examples that we've seen in the news recently was Jeffrey Owens, actor who used to be on the Cosby show. Correct. And, you know, he gets photographed working in a Trader Joe's. It's an honest living. He's paying the bills. And everybody's like, oh, my God, he's so talented. He's not working. But And, you know, I loved his attitude. I saw that. And I loved it wasn't, oh, poor me, or what I really want to be is on stage doing Hamlet. None of that. No. It was like he found joy in what he was doing. In, in other words, if that's what he needed to do or wanted, whatever, that the fact that he had, that he, that's what he was doing, he got joy out of that. He said he loved the customers, talked, they recognized him. He would talk all about that. See, I think that's brilliant. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and then, of course, by coming forward, by talking, you know, he ended up getting a recurring role, thanks to Tyler Perry. Yes. And, and other people are coming forward. It took a lot of the, I know, embarrassment. I know, you know, I know so many actors who, yeah, they'll, they'll work one film a year because they can't get another job. Well, they've got to do something else. They've got to do something else. People make fun of actors and, and filmmakers who are bartending. Or, or working in retail, but that's... Actors are generally speaking, some of the best people in the world because they give up the most to do what, they, what, their, what their passion calls for. Mm -hmm. If they have a passion for something, they're willing to sacrifice a lot to try to stay, to try to be actors, to try to stay in the business. Yeah. They are, they're already actors. They're just trying to make a living at it because people can study medicine for, and you have to go to school, okay, for 10, 15 years, whatever it is, and they know that somewhere, somewhere in the little town or anything, 
They can hang out a shingle and probably make a living. An actor can go to school 50 years, and there's no guarantee they will ever make one cent. That's right. That's right. And that's... uh, those odds are not good. No, and that that's why something like the Actors Fund is so important. Yeah. That's why something like and I'm so I'm so glad that David has put this together and and even though Stage LA is gone, he's still channeling his energy. Oh yeah. And creativity. Yeah. And of course you, I mean, if somebody says there's someone in need, you're always right there. Well, that's what we do. You know? That's what we do. Somebody would do it for us. You know, well, you you are doing it for yourself too. When you and Tom have to make other arrangements because you don't want to mow the lawn anymore, right? You know, you could you could be out there in the actor's home of in course. Woodland Hills. Of course, you don't think about that when you when you're younger. You don't think about that, but uh, but you never know, darling. What what the cards are? What's in the cards for mm-hmm. you? You know. So I gotta ask you, what yeah. after you do this performance and then at, these performances and then after you have your back, the big back surgery, whenever that may be. Yeah. Because um, I think somebody's going to put it off as long as she can. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so what else, what other performances and uh, plans and, do you um, have? Well, in um, March, March uh, 29th and 30th, I go to uh, Palm Springs to do play a, a room there called the Purple Room, which is a lovely dinner, uh, a cabaret dinner uh, theater. And uh, I will be there for two nights. Then that's it. I know next, well, it's a long way, but August I'm going to do my one-woman show at uh, the Eugene O'Neill Festival in um, Boston. And, you know, I, I, I like now to do what I'm doing, spotting things. I don't want to sit down in one place for two months and do it. You know, mm-hmm. I, like, I like going different places. And, and what's Tom doing? Trekking along with you? Well, I don't do it without him. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to be truthful. And so he doesn't he does sacrifice that for me because he's got a lot on his plate now. And, well, instead, maybe maybe we don't have as much on our plate, but it takes us longer to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's good. And he's just very, we both, you know, I don't know what, we both stay very busy. You know, and uh, uh, he's working at, um, there's a friend of ours, Mason McCulley, and um, a young man we know who's doing a documentary on us. <gasps> and uh, it's about love of the theater and love of two people Aww. in the theater. So we're doing that. And, uh, you know. We're staying off the streets, dear. We're staying off of the streets. Well, the streets are much safer without you on them. You bet your ass. But, oh, my God. Are you and Tom still lecturing? It's, yes, it's... We, we do um, We do master classes in different universities. And that's, that's fun, too. And, uh, and and we enjoy it. You know, it's fun. You do a few master classes. And, I don't know, it's, it makes you... You feel relevant, you know. It mm-hmm. keeps you because uh, even that is very different. Even students doing master classes, you know, we all want to be Alfred Ludlum and Fontaine and go to New York, and they all want a series on television. You know? Yeah, that's the big thing now yeah. with all these master yeah. classes. It's like, ooh, pay ninety dollars and you yeah. can watch videos of Ron Howard teaching you how to direct. Yeah. So, and most actors, they, they, all they want is, oh, I've got, I've got to be in a series. I want to be in a series. That's, that's the big thing. And with so much animation now, honey, that, that's uh, even cut down on actors, you know. Yeah, unless they can do voice performance. Oh, yeah. And a lot of them can't. That's, that's why. See, that's as hard to get as, a, as, a, as uh, you know, uh, uh, any other kind of job. Because it used to be that unknowns did voiceovers. I mean, yeah. But now stars fight to do voiceovers. Yeah, I mean, I just saw Emmett Walsh the other yeah. the other day because he lives just a couple blocks from me. It's so funny. We'll both end up in our corner bar 
but he brings his he always tells fills me in on what he's doing and he writes his lines on four by six cards and he carries them with him so when he's walking around town that's how he's developing voices for characters and things oh yeah Sure. It's fascinating to you're watch think, Emmett. You're thinking about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there's a knack to it. And I got to tell you, some of the name talent that's embarking on voice characters now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't want to hear the voice of so-and-so come out of an animated character. and no, and Because then I'm thinking of who that person is oh, and yeah. seeing them instead of the animated okay. character. The character. Yeah, but it's fun to do. It's fun. Voiceovers are fun to do. I loved it. They're very freeing. You know, they'll they'll have you do it one way, and then they'll say, "Now try something else." You can't do that on the stage, you know. And you get to try all sorts of ways, and that's fun. I'm surprised it's, you don't do more voicing. Yeah, I did some, but not a lot. The last time I did. A, film for uh, Disney called Home on the Range. Yes, you did. Yeah, and I love that. And um, they said, now, Carol, you're the farm woman, the woman that owns the farm, and you have three cows. And I said, oh, who are the cows? And they said, Roseanne Barr, um, I forgot the second one, and Judy Dench. <laughs> I went, well, I'd like to be a cow. <laughs> and they said, you are, Blanche, you are. Uh, <laughs> but I'm telling you, I thought that was, I mean, can you imagine Judy Dench was one of my cows? I, I just love that. Well, it was funny, darling. And I had a good time, so I loved it, loved it, loved it. But are you going to, you know, I want you to try to get one of these shows. I am definitely going to try and come yeah, more, than, more than, more than I like, don't want to put you up, not putting you but just, you don't have to tell me now, but if you can make one of them, it'd be lovely. Darling. Well, I'm trying to make the Saturday one. Okay. So I can... And yes, that was the inimitable Carol Cook talking about a myriad of things from voicing to Judy Dench as a cow to this weekend's incredible cabaret is alive and well and, and living in LA uh, Friday night at Tom Rolla's uh, at Tom uh, Rolla's Gardena uh, Gardenia on Saturday at Vitello's in Studio City Sunday at Catalina Jazz Club it is an incredible each show is as good as the next with the talent that's there um, you can just go to each one of the different clubs' websites. Tickets are available for all. Or Brown Paper Tickets is handling the Friday and Sunday shows. And then Ticketfly has the Saturday night shows at Vitello's. And now I'm very, very thrilled to have joining us now, we have two incredible filmmakers we have director Jordan Horowitz and act, actor Joey Klein. Hi, guys. Hey, how's it going? It's going. Which, who do I have? Where's Jordan? Where's Jordan? Jordan's here. How's it going? Uh, it's going. Where's Joey? I'm here as well. <laughs> I am so thrilled. Welcome to Behind the Lens, guys. I got to tell you, this film, Painless... I am in love with this film. I was mesmerized. I was fascinated. Um, I had talked to uh, one of your producers, to Anthony Ambrosino, oh, yeah. just a couple weeks ago because Anthony had another film that was in L.A. Film Festival, and we were talking about that film. So how could I not talk to him about Painless at the same time? And uh, Oh, cool. So I've been so looking forward to talking to both of you. What... What an idea, Jordan. I mean, you bring in actual medical science. This is not a sci-fi film. Of course, when you watch it, you get a sci-fi feeling. But this is actual medical science that you bring into this story of Joey's character of Henry, who is born with a very rare condition where he's unable to feel physical pain. And I've heard of of individuals who actually suffer from this disease and it it is as we see in the film with henry parents don't let the kids go outside because if they fall they can break they'll never know if they're hurt 
Exactly. Well, you know, pain pain is really our first teacher in life. It it teaches us how to protect ourselves and how to take what like how to know if we're injured. And without that, it, it's very difficult for children with this disease to know how to protect themselves. So, yeah, it's a very serious condition. And um, I knew right away that 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 all of the science had to be completely authentic in order to sell this film to the viewer. So one of the first things I did when I was writing the script is I went out and hired a team of science advisors um, who really helped me every step of the way. And then when we were on set, we always had a couple science advisors. We always had a medical advisor to make sure all the medical stuff that's happening in the film is completely authentic. So that's something we really put a lot of time and thought into to make sure it was as accurate as humanly possible. Well, you know, and this speaks volumes to you as a filmmaker, Jordan, because this is this is what I, I always refer to, you know, indie films like Painless, you know, low budget, no budget. You're trying to stretch every dollar as far as it can go. But you were so determined to have authenticity here with the science that you brought in scientists and and medical people. I, I, that just speaks volumes to you as a filmmaker and the care that you have for your project. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, nothing, you know, nothing really throws me out of a movie more than when you know what you're watching <laughs> is just completely made up bogus science or if, if they just completely gloss over that aspect of the film. So, like I said, it, it, to me, it, this film kind of lived and died by its, its authenticity and, yeah. you know, also to pay respects to the people that have this condition. I just thought it was so vital to the story that we do it right. So we really just took, went to great lengths to make it as authentic as we possibly could. Well, and adding to that authenticity is your performance, Joey, as Henry. Um, this, it's, a, it's fascinating to watch you on screen, the way that you keep yourself bundled, cloistered, um, li- as limited movement as possible if and when Henry ventures out of his apartment. You know, I'm curious as to how you approached your performance in bringing Henry to life as somebody that suffers with this disease. Oh, um, well, thanks. Uh, I I don't totally remember what prep I did because I think we shot the film about four four and a half years ago. But um, I guess to me, acting is never literal, and I got trained. Uh, I went to a school called Circle in the Square in New York, which I liked a lot, and it's a method-based school. And we we dealt with these wonderful teachers who spoke and and dealt with working in a way that was as personal and specific as possible, and um, letting your imagination go from there. So I guess I did what research I, I was able to do. I got I got booked on the job pretty soon before we went to camera, so I did what research I was able to do. And then, because acting is not a literal thing, it was more about talking to Jordan about why he wrote it. And I'd lived in New York before, so I knew how lonely that city could be. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, coming from a place of um, being that disenfranchised and that distant from society and having your own, um, having your own, uh, you know, fears, I guess, about what the world brings, and then just uh, letting your imagination go from there. Uh, and, and just working with Jordan, uh, he was very well-versed and very prepared, so I had a director I could rely on that way. Um, yeah, I think that's the most fun thing about acting, you know? Is, um, you get to bring things to the party that um, nobody knows what you're working with, but it's never, um, again, a literal thing. So what, what, that, what that disease in this situation meant to me because of course Jordan says you want to respect people who have this or that are in mm-hmm. any way sick um, is I guess you know what um, lets you ground the work mm-hmm. you know and I, I love the growth that we see within Henry once he meets uh, the character of Shani played by Evelina Marie um, absolutely wonderful dynamic between the two of you and you get a chance to really take Henry out of his cocoon. Um, I mean, I just really, really thought that was absolutely fabulous. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, working with her was great. Uh, I um, I think Jordan's a romantic, and I appreciate that, <laughs> that instinct he has, because I find mostly 
being romantic, especially in cinema today, is like outmoded and it's much cooler to be cynical and I find that really dull. Um, so I appreciated that part of the script and um, I think it's also nice that ultimately, for many reasons, they don't quite end up together, not to spoil it or anything. But um, that struck me as being true, that if something was going to take him out and, and let him grow in a different way, I mean, that's quite a simple, I think, poetic thing to say, you know? That um, the film has so much to do about being obsessed with pain, and you know what are you if you if you can't feel pain? But then when love comes around, he he starts to become a different person. So I uh, I found that to be a nice thing to play with. You know, and and Jordan, I absolutely love your casting of Eveline because and you know go moving into your cinematography and her costume design. Number one. She's got the the vibrant red hair, which automatically screams life, and, you know, it's free-flowing and long. So you get that whole different personality vibe from that she brings to Shani. And then you compound this change that comes in Henry because of her through your cinematography. And I've got to tell you, you and Liam have created some beautiful, beautiful visual tones here with the inside of Henry's apartment um, as a quote-unquote lab to the exteriors where you bring the sun in and everything opens up and the camera goes wide. Really, really wonderfully designed. So I'm curious as to your thought process in casting Evelina and also then developing that visual tone with Liam. Yeah, so, so well, well, the casting in general was very challenging to do. Like you said, we had very limited resources with this m- movie. This is a very micro-budget movie, and I, I really knew that the, the, the film was going to live and die by the performances. Mm-hmm. So Henry's character and Evelina's and uh, Shaney's character in particular were, like, the most crucial to get right. And we, we spent about six months casting and um, I saw I saw a ton of actors for the part of Henry, and and nobody brought what Joey could bring to it. First mm-hmm. of all, like when when I saw Joey's reel, I was blown away. And we did we actually did a Skype interview because Joey was in Toronto at the time, and I knew instantly. We actually did the scene in the cafe between Henry and Shaney, and he brought so much sensitivity to the role that I just I was just blown away just by his audition mm-hmm. and I knew right away that he had the part and then with Evelina it was kind of the same thing we spent about six months looking for that role and we had auditioned tons of actresses and they, they were all good but there was this this very specific quality I was looking for in Shaney that I, I just wasn't finding and it's actually kind of funny we were I remember we were in the casting office and we had an actress outside waiting to come in and audition for the role and somebody had found Evelina's reel randomly online and showed it to me right before this other actors walked in the room. And the second I saw it, I was like, oh, no, I'm done. Like, this part is cast. Like, we don't even need to see this other woman. Like, this is the character. Um, um, yeah, and then as far as, the, as far as the look of the film goes, even though we didn't have money, what we did have was we had time. So mm-hmm. one of the things... Liam and I, my cinematographer Liam and I did, was we spent a great deal of time really talking about what the look of the film was going to be. We referenced a ton of movies that really moved us um, tonally. We really looked at films like a lot of David Fincher's work. We looked mm-hmm. at um, the film Prisoners, um, just how they how they were to, to reflect mood through the color palette. And yeah. um, one of the first decisions we made was that we, we always wanted the look of the film to reflect Henry's internal emotional state. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, when the film opens, it's very kind of dark and gloomy, kind of cold, very like a scientist would be. And then, you know, as he meets Shaney and starts to come out of his shell, the color palette really starts to open up and become more saturated and more neutral. And then, of course, he does relapse later in the film without giving too much away, mm-hmm. and things do get a lot darker. So we really... We really tried to reflect that in every shot of the film. And actually, um, there's a scene in the movie where Henry kind of gets into a fight in a restaurant. Yes, and he does. And things kind of go from good to bad. And we actually put this really long grade in the color, this really long fade, where from the moment things start to go bad to the moment like Henry sort of is thrown to the floor, there's this really long color fade where 
the color gets completely sucked out, and by the time he lands on the floor, we've completely reverted back to this kind of colder, darker look. And then as he goes outside, then you're right back to to where exactly, it was. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that scene, Jordan, because one of the things that I noticed is when poor Henry get, gets knocked to the floor, my heart goes out to you, Joey, uh, but when Henry gets, you know, thrown to the floor and skids across, you actually hear a crack, like his head or a bone hitting the ground and breaking. I mean, it's a it's a really very cool, you know, foley sound move at that moment. That really, your heart kind of stops. It's like, oh my God, is he hurt? Because he'd never know. And it really, really works well in that scene. I'm sorry, I, I actually didn't hear that at all. My, uh, I'm having some some phone issues right at the moment. Oh. Can you repeat that? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, in that in that very in that particular scene in the restaurant where Henry gets knocked to the ground and as he hits the floor, you actually uh, and I'm sure it was a foley sound, foley that you used for, but you hear a crack of a, like a bone breaking on the wood of the wood floor or the wood chair that his head hits and, you know, my heart actually stopped. Oh, you wow. know, on hearing that because it's like He's not going to know if he's hurt or not. And I'm thinking he's going to stumble up off the floor and he's going to have a bone, you know, sticking out of his arm or something. Um, right, right, right. I mean, we obviously wanted to keep it as grounded and realistic as possible, but I'm sure that was going through his head in, in that exact moment. And that's why when we cut to him on the subway, the first thing he's doing is checking even his he's body. He's freaking out emotionally. He's, he's doing his routine of checking himself for injury and making sure nothing went wrong. And, and I'm guessing, Joey, you didn't get a stunt double for that. You had to do that yourself. Yeah, there weren't too many stunt doubles on this film. Um, I didn't get hurt in that uh, scene. I did get hurt in a different scene when we were running around in the subway, but that didn't make it into the film. Um, And uh, I don't know, all that stuff's kind of fun. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't want stunt doubles too much. One time I was on a bigger film and uh, there was this nice gentleman sitting in the chair, and he was my uh, stand-in, and I was really a new actor. So I just thought he was another guy in the same role and that the director would choose his favorite afterwards. I didn't get what the fuck a stand-in was, pardon my language. So all that stuff, you know, I don't want to take away people's work, but I don't really need all that. I don't like the things that make films bigger. Um, Joey, and I would I rather you had a little the things myself. I think you actually had a little bruise in your head after we shot that scene. I think you actually had a little bit of a Could bruise be. in your head yeah, after we yeah, shot that scene. Yeah, maybe I took a knock. I can't. Yeah. I mean, it was all fine and good. There was never any actual, you know, I've been on other shoots where maybe I'm like, that's not so safe. But this was all, this was all pretty reasonable. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've got I've to ask you guys, you know, because there is a lot of scientific terminology here, and a lot that we also see play out visually, thanks to Eileen Dennehy's production design and the fabulous boards in, you know, in your apartment slash lab, um, in Henry's apartment slash lab. So were yeah. all of those calculations, those genome sequences, all of those, you know, all of the mapping, uh, the chemical analysis, was all of that accurate? Yes, actually, that's that's Jordan one of the things that, that you know. I'll thank our science advisors for. Um, they, like I said, there was any time uh, Joey did anything scientific at all, there was somebody on set whispering in his ear exactly what to write, exactly what to search online, and what to say. And I'm glad you mentioned um, Eileen because her production design, I thought, was incredible, and she she just had no money to work with, so she just did such a fabulous job. Yeah, because not only do you have Henry's apartment slash lab, but then you've got Dr. Parks' office, and then you also have, you know, another. Then you have another lab that you've got to produce, and you've got to vary each one of them. And I, the distinction is really well done. And then you get your exteriors as well. So, I mean, very, very distinctive, but yet cohesive. And it fits the entire tone of the film from beginning to end. 
Yeah, we, we got lucky with uh, Andrew's lab because it is an actual science lab, the working lab. Um, I mean, did come in and dress it up a little bit, but for the most part, we were able to use that location as it was. Um, actually, it's kind of crazy. We had to clear the lab at one point because somebody knocked over a, a chemical on the floor, and we didn't know what it was because she actually has some dangerous stuff there, um, the woman who runs the lab. So we all had to run out of the room while they checked it out. Oh, um, but fortunately, my... it just turned out it was, it was some water, so we were all okay. How did you luck out to actually get a working lab as one of your sets? Uh, my producer, Anthony, went to a um, school in Rhode Island, and of all places, and they had um, an actual working science lab there. And then another kind of happy accident that happened was we were supposed to shoot this the scene that takes place in the community greenhouse was mm-hmm. supposed to be a community garden in Brooklyn and we got hit with a huge blizzard right before we were supposed to shoot that scene so it was the garden was just gone there was nothing there um so we re- I remembered that oh I think there was this little greenhouse in the back of that school and fortunately enough we were able to go back to the same school and shoot that that scene there and we just turned it into a community uh, greenhouse wow and again Eileen did a fabulous job of of kind of dressing it in a way to sell it as a, a location in Green Hope, Brooklyn. Yeah, I never would have known. Never would have known. She really, she did a, a fabulous job, dress designing and dressing each one of these each one of these principal sets that you have going. You know, I, I want to ask. She's you, super talented, and that's really the key when you're doing films at this budget level. Is you know, hire talented people. You know, we were really lucked out that we had great talent. We had a great cinematographer, and we had a great production designer. You know, what is what is the appeal? Other than yes, you have a job and you're making a film, but what is the appeal for each of you of doing these lower budget independent films? Is there a freedom that you're given, especially you, Jordan, as a writer, director, producer? Do you have more freedom than you would have if you went elsewhere, you know, within a Netflix, within a Hulu, um, or or shopping something to a studio? Do you get that freedom? What is the appeal? And the same thing for you, Joey, in terms of performance. For for me, you know, I had complete and total freedom. Essentially, as my film, I mean, uh, you know, I wrote, directed, and I was a producer on it. Um, there, there is, you know, obviously, you know, I, I collaborated extremely heavily with Joey, which, which I'm sure he'll talk about as well. But um, yeah, there's a complete freedom, which is one of the definitely one of the advantages of doing lower budget films. Um, but ultimately, for me, this was a, a calling card film to try to get bigger, bigger work. And I, mm-hmm. I do have other projects I'm trying to get off the ground that would, you know, require a little bit more money. So hopefully this will help lead the way to that. Mm-hmm. And what about for you, Joey? I mean, I think that um, different jobs bring different opportunities. I thought that um, Jordan, I, I'm, I mostly came to do this because I like Jordan, what he was trying to do and um, what you don't have in terms of resources or, or even remuneration on bigger things you get in the collaboration and the creative process. And, um, you know, I, 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 I liked what Jordan was trying to do um, as an actor. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of ugly things out there that just put violence out into the world. And a lot of times that's the kind of stuff you need to do if you want a paycheck. So very nice to get to balance that with things that stand for something put a little bit of love out. Um, I'm not really focused on acting these days as much as I am my own film, so I, I think that um, my own taste and my own desires and sensibilities of lie in smaller filmmaking anyways, I don't really have too much of an ambition to get into the bigger uh, structures that often, I think, make really bad candy for the world, and mm-hmm. I don't... I don't know. I'm going to be dead one day. I don't really want to be on my deathbed looking back thinking I just made the planet a terrible place to be mm-hmm. you know i want to ask yeah, both, exactly. i want to ask both of you because of the medical science involved in the in painless you know how freeing could you be with the dialogue in terms of ad-libbing changing things or did you have to stick pretty much to script i think it varied scene for scene i think that um, there are certain scenes where ad-libbing was 
either um, reasonable or even encouraged. And then the more science-driven scenes tended to be more word perfect and more um, grounded yeah. in what Jordan had researched and created. Um, probably the more interpersonal relationship scenes had more improvisation of one kind or another. I don't really like that word, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What, one of the things that's so great about, about Joey as an actor is he brought so many amazing ideas to every scene and to like certain dialogue that could be changed or could be cut or could be modified in a way that spoke more to the character he was creating. Um, and then obviously, like he says, there were obviously specific things that had to be in there just because it's necessary to what the character is trying to do, and you really need to communicate that information. Mm -hmm. So for each of you, what did you each take away from making this film, from making Painless, that you learned about yourself, that that you've been taking forward and will take forward into future projects? I learned a lot of lessons just about how to make a film of this size in general, things that I would definitely carry on to bigger projects. Um, I, I, you know, the biggest lesson I took away was that really anything and everything that can go wrong on a film, especially of this budget size, will go wrong. <laughs> and But the way you get through that, it's true, and the way you get through that is in your uh, preparation. How prepared you are to begin with will allow you to pivot when things do go wrong and then to make decisions that get you through it. And then also I learned a great lesson about having, you know, amazing collaborators and really listening to their ideas and also fighting for your ideas when, when you feel that you're right. It, it's really a give and take, and, it, you know, you really have to, have to play both sides of it. And what about for you, Joey? Um, I really enjoyed being um, in every scene and every, you know, uh, moment. Uh, I'd never been the first on the call sheet before, and... Um, Never had a 24-day, I think it was 24-day shoot that, um, that that I had to show up every moment for. And I really liked that that process. And um, I liked that, you know, uh, way of having to think about the character's through line and arc and, and make sure that what Jordan was trying to create was getting supported by what I was doing. Because obviously when you shoot a film, you never shoot it in sequence at all. Mm-hmm. So you need to be pretty specific about what you're shooting and what you haven't done yet, what you have done. And just working with Jordan in that way, uh, I enjoyed that. So now where can everybody see Painless? I know limited opening a couple weeks ago here in L.A. on the 21st. But where can everybody find Painless right now, Jordan? It actually just came out on a ton of digital streaming platforms. So it's on iTunes, Amazon. Uh, Google Play, YouTube, DirecTV, a whole bunch of digital platforms. Okay, I don't and, see it uh, on in Spectrum. In about a week, it'll come out on DVD. Oh, well, thank God, because I was I was actually scrolling through Spectrum, because I have Spectrum looking to see, and I didn't see it on there. And it always aggravates me when these little indie gems are not popping up as being uh, viewing material, so... That's fabulous to know. DVD, any extras on the DVD we can look forward to? There is. Actually, yeah, there's a, there's a great behind-the-scenes making of um, piece that we put together, and um, there's a direct commentary with me um, and a couple other little things. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's a really nice package. They, they did a great job putting that together, so I definitely recommend checking it out. Now, can people order the DVD? Do you have a website to order from directly, or should they just go through Amazon or something like that? They can get it direct from our website, which is painlessmovie.com. Um, in about a week, it'll be available to, to order on like Best Buy and Amazon and a bunch of other websites. Right now, it's like I said, it's available everywhere on most of the streaming platforms like iTunes and Amazon. Well, I can't thank you guys enough. I mean, I will definitely be buying a DVD because I want all those extras. Um, Amazing. Thank you, guys. I hope you'll both come back on the show again when you have other projects that you're working on to talk about. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Oh, thank you, guys. And I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Joey Klein and Jordan Horowitz talking about 
their new film, Painless. It really is. It is a fascinating film with all the medical science that is in there and knowing that it is accurate uh, as to what's being put forth and presented. And as Jordan mentioned earlier, you know, that is something. It will take me out of a film very quickly if I see and hear things that are not accurate. So it is definitely worth watching. It, uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Well, that is all the time we have today. Next week, we're going to be talking baseball uh, with a little indie baseball film timed perfectly for the World Series coming up. Uh, and for those of you in L.A., don't forget, we've got Cabaret is alive and well and living in L.A. this weekend. Um, check it out. Uh, and until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Yeah.